Okay, I'm Mark Jarvis, uh, CEO of Giga Metals. We've got uh, a giant uh, deposit of nickel and cobalt and sulfides, uh, open pitable, north central British Columbia, Canada. And our most important recent news is a joint venture that we concluded with Mitsubishi Corp. Indeed, you have just completed the joint venture um, with Mitsubishi on the Turnagon project. Um, they seem to be valuing it very differently from the market. I think, what, what, what were the terms of the deal? Uh, they bought uh, 18% of the project, or pardon me, 15% of the project for $8 million, which would value the project at about $54 million. Uh, and our market cap is about 27, 28 million. You know, it's trading at a discount because of market conditions. It's as simple as that. Right. Okay. So we probably need a sense of what, what you think is happening in the marketplace because we're seeing, um, a lot, a lot of companies. We're seeing, um, you know, GME sign non-binding MOU with Stellantis, which I guess we'll refer to as a first generation offtake deal. And we've got a second generation, uh, deal in nickel space with GM committing a hundred million. Aussie bucks for offtake from Queensland Pacific Metals. These guys are moving back upstream. They're, they're trying to um, secure supply into the future. What does industry know that the market doesn't? That's a very good question. Um, I think that they have a, a greater sense of how much uh, is going to be required in terms of critical metals such as lithium and, and uh, nickel to fulfill their ambitions to build gigafactories. If you, if you look at the number of gigafactories that are in the planning stage right now, uh, it's, it's difficult to imagine how enough nickel can be brought on stream to feed that appetite. And so they're just realizing that they have to invest upstream if they're gonna be competitive in the EV market. They don't wanna be hostage to the spot market in nickel uh, or lithium. They're both very volatile uh, metals when they get tight and <laughs> things are getting tight. Well, th th things aren't getting tight, but it's kind of like they need to, to have a view. We need to have a sense of what the, what the demand's going to be. Um, and the suppliers, well, they don't seem to have enough suppliers squawking about how much nickel they're going to produce. Right. And I think there's also you've, you're suffering from uh, this like negative perception around low grade nickel as well. Right. So in and in the backdrop, you've got this the, 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 the price just kind of not really doing anything. I think we've got an inkling this week that things are starting to move, but it was sitting around this sort of um, 10, 11 dollars uh, a pound uh, range for, for, for quite a while. Projects like yours need to see that, you know, I guess meaningfully higher. But. Does industry need that incentive? Was it just the markets? Yeah, you know, I disagree with that. Uh, you know, ten, eleven dollars is will be robust economics for our project. Uh, we modeled it in our PEA at seven fifty a pound. The economics were not robust, so it's in that marginal range. You get ten, eleven dollars. This is a this is a great project economically. And I also want to point out that uh, we are economically competitive with all of the undeveloped uh, projects in the world, including uh, the HPAL projects. They've been getting built, but we've got actually better economics. Where we are not competitive with the HPAL projects is that we have to go through an environmental assessment in Canada. Whereas if you're wanting to build an HPAL project in Indonesia, pretty easy to get a permit. You just have to figure out 
you know, how much it costs to uh, get that permit. It doesn't take long. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's the difference. And, and, and it's a double-edged sword is that, you know, if you're sourcing nickel from Canada, you can be happy that uh, you're sourcing your material ethically. Uh, whereas if you're sourcing it from Indonesia, which is basically where China sources it, um, you're strip mining tropical rainforests, you're processing very aggressively with sulfuric acid, and you're dumping your tailings into the ocean. So it's hard to imagine that you're saving the planet by buying an electric vehicle with batteries sourced from nickel from Indonesia. No, no, I, I get the HPAL component. The HPAL is also, you know, I guess notoriously uh, capex heavy too. Um, but I th but I think the uh, I think more interesting thing that's happened or developed recently is that IRA, the um, Inflation Reduction Act in in the US, it seems to be sending out signals to you know, uh, you know, internally and obviously to friends that if you are in any way linked to the Indonesia slash China ecosystem for for nickel, the funding may not be there for you. The offtake may not be there for you. So is it, obviously that works to your advantage, but how do, how do you take advantage of that now? Is, can you take advantage of that? There's no real direct way for us to take advantage. However, it does encourage people to take a hard look at us. So, I mean, uh, Mitsubishi was interested even before that. Uh, that came into effect as we were close. We were going to be closing anyways, but it certainly ensured that we were going to close. Um, but when you look at the next tier, like what's going to happen next? What's our next round of funding for this project? Well, we're looking to sell another minority interest in the project for a higher project valuation than what Mitsubishi paid. Uh, they get the first mover advantage. Um, and so if you're a car company sitting in North America and you're looking at building electric vehicles, you better make sure that your sourcing is either from the US or from Canada or from Australia. Um, and, you know, there's just not that many projects to choose from. So, again, if you're a car company or a battery company and you want to build a gigafactory in North America and you're looking for which upstream project do I choose? Well, okay, there's a few of them in Canada and in Australia. But how do I, how do I select which is the project? And you know what I've noticed with the car companies and the battery companies. I actually I talked to the first mining engineer I've talked to probably uh, two weeks ago uh, with a car company. It's the first time I've talked to a mining engineer at a car company, and he'd been working at that car company for five days. So, so your, your your point is that is not that you've never spoken to one. It's the fact you've never seen one employed by a car company, and now you're you're starting to see that. Exactly, the car companies are starting to take the next step where they go go. Well, I've got to evaluate these projects. I've got to decide which ones to invest in, and and we've got a bit of a leg up in that regard because, you know, everybody knows who Mitsubishi Corp is, and everybody knows that. Uh, they're very sophisticated mining project investors. They've done it before many times where they will get involved at a 15, 20, 25% interest, and then they will put their full weight behind the development process of getting the mine built. They don't want to operate. They want to have a minority interest and they want to get as much of the offtake as they can get. But they've done this again and again all over the world with many different partners 
and they know what they're doing. So we have survived their due diligence. And by the way, they told us they looked at 26 different projects before settling on us. So we do have a leg up. You do have a leg up, and, and that's an endorsement. But you know, here's what you're suffering from as, as, as well. In the mining space, typically, when you see these, you know, whether it be mid-tiers or, or these large caps, like step in, like a Rio, et cetera, and take an option on a company, you know it's one of 20 or 30 options they've got around the world on different projects because the money they invest is a rounding error, right? And the chances of all of those going ahead is, is, is zero, so you're suffering a little bit from that. So what, what does Mitsubishi need to find out for themselves to be able to say, we will continue to move forward with this company? What do you need to see from them to you know, you know, be able to lend your shareholders comfort that they will continue with this company? Uh, and, and what's the time frame? Well, okay, so unlike you know, a large uh, mining company, because they're not, they're a trading company, Primarily, at least in this space, they also make cars, they've got banks, they've got, I mean, they're a huge conglomerate. So they don't have dozens of nickel projects on the hook. They've got one. And what they're going to need to see is they're going to need to see that the uh, PFS uh, supports or even improves upon what we modeled in the PEA. And as long as that's true, they're going to be committed. And I don't see anything falling apart, that's for sure, and what I've seen so far. And in fact, we've got some uh, uh, improvements already uh, in the economics uh, from what we've looked at from some of the trade-off studies. So, so their commitment is there. Uh, they would very much like to get a partner that they like in. Uh, so they're being supportive in this sense. I mean, we're going to Tokyo, myself and Martin Vidra, our president, and our and our in-house engineer, Lyle Tritton. We're going to Tokyo November 5th to the 11th. And we're meeting with Mitsubishi, but we're also meeting with friends of Mitsubishi, people that Mitsubishi is introducing to the project and their deep-pocketed potential partners. So, you know, and that's not all we're doing. We're talking to all sorts of people, but they're very interested in this process. They're very interested in helping us get funded all the way. So beyond where we are now, we think we're going to need another 40 or 50 million dollars to advance the project to full feasibility, environmental assessment done, shovel ready. And they're where's very. That money, where's that money coming from? Does that money come from the new or, or this, the, the second uh, strategic partner that Mitsubishi is going to introduce to you, or you hope Mitsubishi will introduce to you? That's what you we're go, hoping for. Right. That's what does that do to your current shareholders? Ah. Uh, I mean, it's just so much upside at that point. I mean, the leverage in this play, you know, and again, we're trading at less than $30 million. Canadian, by the way, um, which is almost the same as uh, pounds. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, how dare, how dare you. That, you know, I mean, the leverage week. of that, the leverage of that, you know, if you think about a $2 billion project, if you think about a project that, at, you know, certainly at 10 or $11 or current prices, I don't know exactly where the PV8 value is, but somewhere over a billion dollars, um, you know, US, look at that leverage and, you know, tell me of a, of a, of a play in the world that's got more optionality and at this time, better odds of that optionality 
becoming real. Well, it, well, there's, 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 there's a many a slip between a cup and lip, but you know, you you've got Mitsubishi on board. That's great, and eight million bucks in the bank, which is which which is great. But but the the question was, what does introducing forty or fifty million bucks potentially from a strategic partner? And I don't. And what I'm trying to get at is, how does that money come in? Does it come in at asset level? Does it come in at corporate level? How much dilution will existing shareholders see? And you know, how do you engineer the 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 upside? Because presumably you're you're going to need to be carried by their balance sheet. Your, your, yours is not fit for purpose here, right? But you do have to engineer it that you get that that free carry. How much free carry? Up until what point? PFS or, or beyond? Uh, and how do you you know? I guess long suffering um, shareholders go. Well, I, I want I want to come along for the ride, but tell me why. Okay, well, uh, there's a few questions that you ask there. One is that our goal is to is to do all the funding uh, by diluting the project rather than our equity, and it's because our stock price is far too low, in our view, and um, so that's been our ambition. People were rolling their eyes when we were telling them that before, including you, and um, many you times. Know, but nonetheless, we got Mitsubishi on at the project level. And we're just basically, that's the only possibility we're holding out to the, the potential strategics is, no, no, we don't want to sell you equity. I mean, I am personally the largest shareholder of this company. I'm not interested in diluting myself to death along with the rest of the shareholders by continually issuing stock. You know, like anybody in this business, I'll do what I have to do at the end of the day, but I would much prefer to dilute the project and the market is moving our way. Right. But, but the, the, the question is, what's the mechanism by which the company, if you do it at asset level, I understand that and it makes total sense. But what's the mechanism, help people who are perhaps uninitiated or don't understand it, what's the mechanism that you would like to put in place that your current shareholders benefit and come along for the ride and ho- hopefully it's, it's, it's a ride up? Well, you know, I mean, okay, just to just to throw some numbers around, and I'm not guaranteeing anything here when I say this, mm. but but I'd love to see 50 million US come in for the next 20 percent interest in the project. Wow. Okay. Big leg up. Yes, nice. that would be a big leg up, and then we would be funded for the next three years. I mean, we're already funded, more than funded, to get the PFS complete. But now we're looking for the bankable feasibility study. We're looking to get the environmental assessment done, which is part of bankable. It's not bankable if you don't have permits. Um, and the environmental assessment is probably 10 to $15 million of that. And it's the longest lead time part of it. The engineering could be relatively quick. So you know, we would like to get funded all the way to shovel ready. And I think as we move through that process over the next three years and the nickel market does what it does and we don't need money from the markets. I mean, if we can be showing that, I think the nickel price at some time in the next three years is going to get uh, volatile again uh, because there is a shortage of class one nickel and it costs a lot of money to convert class two nickel to something suitable for the cathode. It's just very, very energy intensive. It's not, it's not the most efficient route to the cathode. We've got the most efficient route to the cathode. Well, it'd be interesting. I think yeah, Matt's going to have something to say in that. Matt, the product, not me. 
uh, in terms of that class one, class two discussion, I, I, I suspect. But, 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 but back to you, the, the question was, what's the me- great getting that money in? Yep. But what's the mechanism which says, hey, uh, uh, me, strategic investor, I put all this money in at the asset level, and, and sorry, you are who? You, you are what? And to, to this, and you know, because you, you, they, they're going to presumably take a little bit of an equity position for the next like twenty percent. You, you, you're hoping, um, but what is going to drive your share price other than nickel price going up out of your control um, and whatever it is that um, you know the the, the, the well whatever it is that they, the, the two strategic partners want to do with this project and the pace at which they want to move at it. You're saying that Mitsubishi is, a, is their only nickel project. I guess that's something actually quite positive. They're not going to be distracted by other things. Is yeah, that, and again, they right? looked at 26 projects before they settled on us. And that's, uh, I'd love to see that list. Yeah. Well, I would suggest <laughs> that that's every sizable undeveloped nickel project in the world. And that's, yeah. that's what they're like. Matthew, they're, yeah. they're, I mean, the due diligence we went through was extremely thorough, shall we say. I mean, my God. Yeah. Um, but, at, you know, we, we, we could answer every question. Every assumption we made was reasonable. So, okay, other than the nickel price going higher, and I, I, you, know, I, you, know, you know, you're asking what's the market going to do and what's the market going to do in our stock? Well, it already, based on the Mitsubishi tr- transaction, we should be trading at double our current price. It's just a reflection of, you know, does the market really stay this bad for risk assets forever? I mean, you know, we know that markets are cyclical and we know that the cycle will change. And in, in just sort of a, a, a semi-normal market, our stock would be trading at twice the current price. It'll be trading around the asset value that the transaction gave us because guess what? The analyst can, you know, the math is easy. Well. Here's the here's the transaction value. Here's where the stock should be trading. Simple math. No, it's, it's, um, it's, yeah. And, and in fact, it should be trading. It should, I quote, air quote, should be trading ahead of that price, as the market anticipates what's going to happen next. I, you know, so at some point we get out of this uh, dreary market that we're in right now, and things start to get valued more. Uh, you know, in an atmosphere where there's less fear. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the sort of um, the Chinese week-long holiday has, has kind of slowed things down. But we're sort of seeing, well, even in the last week, we're sort of starting to see numbers which are quite interesting. So, like demand for nickel in the stainless steel sector up 15% from the lows of um, the summer, and demand from the battery sector up 70% from the lows of last spring. Um, you know, and I think you know China battery nickel demand running at what 500,000 tons per annum. Run rate in October, so up fifty percent year on year. So it, it, it's starting to sort of tick the right way, but it, it's just been such an erratic rise that I, I think people are wondering: is 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 it sustainable? And I guess the answer, I would say loud and clear, you don't have to do it, is 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 absolutely the the demand numbers are going through the roof, certainly on the on the EV side and the and, and stainless steels, which is obviously the larger. Well, and also hang on to your hats when uh, whenever China uh, ditches the zero COVID policy, which is a ridiculous and silly policy, and everybody knows it except China. Um, and I don't expect that to happen soon. I expect that to be another year before they get around to that. But whenever it happens, that 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 takes the brakes off. I mean, holy smokes, demand will explode whenever that happens. 
Okay. Well, look, the, the, the conversation today was around, you know, companies that are, you know, trading at a discount. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a case of undervalued. It's, it's trading at a discount based on fundamentals. And I'm sort of interested in, in your fundamentals. And, uh, you know, Mitsubishi, uh, highly credible builder. Um, and if they've, if they've picked through 26 projects to get to you, that's endorsement indeed. Um, and I guess for, for me, the things I'm taking away is you've got 8 million bucks going to move this thing through the PFS. If you, in your meetings in Japan, can find a strategic partner and get anywhere near the numbers that you're, you're expecting, evaluations that you're, you're expecting, you're kind of good through to DFS, which is, well, it becomes very, very interesting at that point, especially if... Well, well, well sure, just to hang some numbers there. on it. I mean, we should be trading, you know, and, and air quote should. I'm not giving financial advice here, that's for sure. But, um, but we should be trading at about 55 cents a share based on the Mitsubishi transaction. I would like to do a transaction that would then value us at two to three dollars a share. Now, that doesn't guarantee that the market moves to that price. We all know that, but it should move to that price. In fact, it should move ahead of that price as the market anticipates what comes after that. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's what I see going for. I see huge leverage. And given the way the market's going and given that in our view, and I believe in Mitsubishi's view, we are the lowest risk undeveloped large nickel project out there. Um, that, you know, this is going to happen. And I don't know the exact time. I don't know all the details, but the market is moving our way. The market needs nickel. They need nickel in North America. Come to Papa. 